Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we deal with a very troubling issue in our own backyard. Lawsuit comes to the city of Colorado Springs, CSPD, District Attorney Michael Allen, Detective Brian Corrado, and Chief of Police Vince Niski for violation of civil rights and targeting of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Folks. This is absolutely insane for what has been done by the actions of Detective Corrado and what's been sanctioned by every law enforcement folks here that we just named off, the district attorney's office, uh, the chief of police who stands silent, who stands silent, does nothing. Deputy Chief Adrian Vasquez, another uh, person at the top of CSPD, does nothing. AJC Radio exposes this issue Right now. Hang on. We take off right now.
And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Sampson Riddle, William Williams, Clinton Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and Cliff Stewart, and the entire AJC radio team tonight as we deal with a lawsuit that has been filed against the city of Colorado Springs and these entities within the city government that have violated the civil rights of African Americans and folks regarding the Colorado Springs uh, Fellowship Church. Uh, we intend to expose that tonight. Uh, and I'll tell you what, David, uh, this particular lawsuit could not come at a better time given the outrageous misconduct by Detective Corrado in the Colorado Springs Police Department, as well as the District Attorney's Office and Mr. Allen, who sanctioned such outrageous behavior. Why is this important that this happened right now? Well, actually, it's quite shameful that we have to continue to go down this road. Uh, sometimes, why can't you just do the right thing? Uh, yeah, why can't you just do the right thing? It just, uh, we talked about the George Floyd cases and those type of cases, but again, as, as uh, I just called this your press release discussing the fact that George Floyd case is one thing, but the it's the hundreds or thousands of abuses that African-Americans suffer each day just because of ego, uh, hubris, and an attitude that police have they can do whatever they want to do. Colorado Springs Fellowship contacted the CS Colorado Springs Police Department because somebody pulled a gun on them and they were in possession of their property. They were there to retrieve their property. But, again, you get a road cop that uh, for some reason, gets a hard on and wants to uh, wants to screw somebody over. Um, that's just the way it goes. Um, oh, no, absolutely right. And uh, so those type right now, the church has filed a lawsuit. Uh, just cause is fighting uh, to bring attention to it uh, publicly, and that's just the way it is. Oh, and that's the way it's going to be. And the bottom line is, is that until uh, organizations and individuals. Uh, become outraged as a result of what these officers are doing. I'll say it once, I'll say it probably repeatedly on this show, uh, is that we don't believe all officers fall under this umbrella of doing this type of misconduct. Uh, there are good officers out there. What is outrageous to me and really infuriates me is that to the officers that go on the front lines every day, when you have a detective, Brian Corrado, that goes out and goes out of his way, which we're going to get into the details of play-by-play of what happened here in this case, and really violates any code of conduct that is appropriate or protocol. Uh, And then to have a district attorney, uh, Mr. Allen, this falls on your watch, and you allow this to be done, and then you have a judge that signs off on a bogus warrant uh, of probable cause to arrest these guys, All are complicit in this type of corruption. And if we can't get uh, uh, true honesty and transparency, which is what we talked about a week ago, that starts, I don't care if it starts on the bench with judges, it starts in police departments with officers, it starts with chief of police, anybody, the mayor's office, who sat back and did nothing, has received over three different uh, complaints regarding what happened, uh, regarding these officers, not one return phone call, not one return email, though uh, attorney for Colorado Springs Fellowship 
uh, church, along with the just call, sent a letter asking him to look into the matter of what his officers who are under the mayor's leadership are doing at the CSPD. He goes silent. This is absolutely outrageous. We're going to address it. We're going to deal with it. Uh, just should not be happening. Um, and until you have transparency, until you call these people out for what they're doing, uh, they continue to feel like and have a God complex that they simply cannot be touched. You have to obey the, you expect us as citizens to obey the law, to do what needs to be done and to be uh, productive citizens in this society, but yet you turn around and target a church who's done nothing but a kindness for Arnisha and Nick Gaynor. That, it's unbelievable to me. And the still over $20,000 of property with not one arrest, with proof, providing proof that the property belonged to the church, documented. We're going to get into all of that. And yet this uh, uh, police officer, Brian uh, Carrado, uh, uh, Detective Carrado, uh, is, is covered, is shielded by the blue. Unacceptable. Chief Nisky may, may not like that. It falls on your watch. I spoke personally to Deputy Chief Adrian Vasquez about this issue. These are political figureheads that do nothing. It's what they are. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this discussion at this table right now. We wouldn't be having this discussion. So uh, we're going to dig into more of that as well uh, as we get into this. Samson, how important is you as we get ready to unveil this thing here? Uh, what are your thoughts on how, how important this is? Well, I mean, we just had a discussion, like, within the last two weeks of how, you know, if cops and police officers and even type of law enforcement, they really want to be able to do their job effectively in a community, we, ha we as a citizens need to be able to trust them. And just cases like this is what completely deteriorates the foundation of trust that citizens have. I mean, you have a church that has been in this community for over 40 years, and it's done nothing but good to not only the citizens of the community, but they've actually fed law enforcement. They've gone out and fed the first responders. They've gone out and fed, you know, the firefighters. They've done nothing but good. And so for them to turn around, and I don't care who replaced who since then, the fact of the matter is, you know, in your history, this church has a record of not only siding with the police when they're right, but supporting them in every single way for, to turn around and do this to the church, to its pastor, to its parishioners. Like it, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's nauseating, you know, because the fact of the matter is, is anybody at a leadership level above direct, uh, Detective Corrado could have said something. Look, the reason they didn't say anything, the reason they continue to sit back on their do-nothing and do-nothing mm -hmm. is because that type of behavior is sanctioned within the department. And it makes them all culpable to it. So if you're, if you're sanctioning, that's why the lawsuit is against Colorado Springs Police Department. It's against Brian Carrado. It's against the chief. It's against the DA. It's against the city of Colorado Springs. Why? Because none of you will do anything. All they do is cower out and want to give this image across the country that, oh, Colorado Springs is the model for good policing. No, they are exactly hypocrites. They're hypocritical in what they're doing. So, I mean, I don't care who it is. 
they've got the good old boy mentality. They're going after people that, again, they've done nothing wrong, and they're siding with with the criminals. When you have evidence, I mean, last I checked, the law is supposed to be based on evidence. If we, the church, had evidence, this is church property. You are staying in a corporate church apartment. All this thing, and you still want to go after the parishioners that are just there, the personnel that are just there, just to get church property back? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a cover up. It's a scheme. It's uh, that's what it is. And you know, this isn't the first time that CSPD has been, uh, you know, accused of these things. There's a class action lawsuit that came out in February of last year with this same type of behavior. An article written in the uh, Colorado Springs. Gazette Telegraph by the reporter of Olivia Prinzel. And in this class action lawsuit, I'll just read a quick snippet. It says, in the lawsuit, lawyers accused the police department of prosecuting, the lady's name was Chronic, uh, prosecuting Chronic for engaging in speech that's critical of the city and its employees or offensive. The police are using force against those who exercise free speech to criticize the police department, maliciously prosecuting citizens without probable cause, an attempt to cover up police misconduct and failing to discipline officers when faced with obvious constitutional violations. And then the, uh, the attorney quoted, the Colorado Springs Police Department has a history of arresting people who disturb the police but otherwise commit no crime. Unfortunately, the city's taxpayers have to pay for the misconduct of these officers whose actions are tolerated by the city council, the mayor, and the police department. So these things are known by the police department, by the mayor, by the city council, by the chief of police, that this is an issue that goes on in their department. They refuse to take any action to alleviate this type of uh, activity by their officers and by uh, their detectives, such as Detective Corrado. Well, they should be outraged because, and again, as he said at the top of this show, that the lives of law enforcement Men and women are on the front lines doing their job, become targets of people who feel like that the system and the police department has simply made a decision that they don't matter. You have people out there that will just take that. We've seen it all over the country. Uh, innocent cops are targeted as a result of this type of mistrust uh, within the police department. This is Colorado Springs Police Department that we are talking about now. We're going to take a quick break on the other side. We're going to address these issues, and we're going to get into the lawsuit. Uh, we're going to have a discussion. Joining us is Jason Palladino. He'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Uh, he's with the National Security Investigative Reporter at Project on Government Oversight. Uh, he's a gentleman that uh, definitely is interested uh, in dealing with police misconduct, those type things that are happening across the country. Uh, he has a lot to offer. We look forward to having him on. And at 7, or at, uh, excuse me, 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern, we'll be having Professor uh, Bill Prevogel. I believe that's the right pronunciation. Uh, Professor School of Journalism and Publisher at Gateway Journalism Review. Uh, he'll also be joining us uh, at 7 p.m. to engage in this conversation and what can be done. So we look forward to both of them being our guests on this show. Hang on, folks. Feel free uh, to stay Stay tuned in. Listen to what's being said. Uh, and I'll tell you what, folks, it may sound like a movie of some sort, but I promise you this is real life happening, uh, not only in Colorado Springs, across this country, where police officers, again, not all of them, 
again, to those that honor the badge, we honor them in our society. We are grateful for those those officers. But uh, again, this type of behavior makes it very dangerous for good law-abiding officers who are there to really keep the peace and do the right thing and that uh, truly honor the oath they took uh, taking that job. So we're going to deal with all those on the other side of the break. Again, feel free to dial in 646-200-0628, This is ADC Radio. Lawsuit hits Colorado Springs as a church becomes targeted by its government here locally. We're going to deal with it on the other side of the break. This is ADC Radio. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified, and in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We we can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you were the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders facing trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation 
on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. You can't sit here. Don't add her to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. It's so gross. Lame. Loser. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt. We have the power to be more. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment and consider others before we speak. And before we act, be more. Be more. Be more. There are no loose ends in TV procedural dramas. At the end of the hour, the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. Unfortunately, the real world is a lot more complicated. We know from the work of the Innocence Project and other organizations in the Innocence Network that the system doesn't always get it right. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, since 1989, nearly 2,000 people have been exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. What people don't realize is a good number of those people pleaded guilty to crimes even though they were innocent. In fact, in nearly 10% of the nation's DNA exonerations, people pleaded guilty to serious crimes and agreed to serve significant prison time because the system is stacked against them, especially if they are poor and people of color. That's right. The stakes are so high that we have innocent men and women agreeing to serve long prison sentences. A system that puts that much pressure on people to plead guilty is a problem. Visit guiltypleadproblem.org to learn more about the men and women who are pressured into pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit. And join us in demanding that our elected officials do something to protect the innocent people who get caught up in a broken criminal justice system. Thank you. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can have a place. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? 
You can remember that it worked. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Please have a seat. I'll be honest. The resume, not what I'm used to. I know. Okay, so what would you bring to my company? What do you need? I need a hard worker. Good. I've got two part-time jobs and to help my parents pay the bills. Any problem-solving skills? I got through high school without a car, a phone, or a computer. No college degree, though. Not yet, but life's taught me a lot, and I'm ready for more. Well, you're not the typical kind of candidate that I hire. But you are exactly what I'm looking for. Your company could be missing out on the candidates it needs most. Learn how to find, cultivate, and train a great pool of untapped talent at gradsoflife.org. I like to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. I want to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. I need to eat, eat, eat. Apples and bananas. Why can't I eat, eat, eat apples and bananas? One in five children struggles with hunger in America. Support the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks to help provide meals to those in need. Join us at feedingamerica.org. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we are addressing lawsuit that has been filed directly here in the city of Colorado Springs. Uh, the Colorado Springs Police Department, District Attorney Michael Allen, Detective Brian Corrado, um, and the Chief of Police, Vince Nisky, for violation of civil rights and targeting of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Uh, and this is a federal lawsuit because it is a civil rights violation, multiple uh, civil rights violations here uh, against, uh, again, a church being targeted, a religious institution, uh, but uh, dealing with a uh, predominant uh, African-American church, as you know, uh, there are things going on right now in this country where the trust between citizens and police officers uh, have fallen really, really bad as a result of conduct uh, that is now being done. And as David alluded to earlier, you are addressing and dealing with, of course, the George Floyd situation, the Breonna Taylor situation. But you're dealing with situations just like this, a church that has been in the community for 40 years, 40 years, and has done above and beyond what any other religious organization has done in this community uh, to show support to law enforcement 
uh, and to the sheriff's department, uh, first responders, the fire department. I mean, you name any type of community uh, organization that is there to help uh, the communities. Uh, and then you have this roll cop, uh, Detective Brian Carrado, who simply is a disgrace to the badge in which he wears. Uh, to the folks that honor the badge, let me say it again. We appreciate, and we do not put all police officers in the same boat. That's not what we do here at AJC. Uh, we believe there are good officers out there. We believe there are officers that care about integrity and honesty. And without them, our society would be a muck. It would be horribly, uh, a horrible, bad situation. But tonight we have to address those that violate uh, the law. I mean, what we're seeing here to me is, is, is criminal here. Uh, and what they have done and what they continue to do, we will continue as an organization to expose it uh, as we need to do so. Um, right now, uh, I'd like to introduce our first guest. We're going to have some callers calling in, and we're going to take their calls as well as we get into this. Uh, Jason Palladino, uh, the National Security Investigative Reporter uh, at Project on Government Oversight. I had the opportunity to speak with him yesterday. Uh, a delightful young man that is out here doing some things that uh, that are making a difference, and, and we welcome him tonight uh, in this discussion. Uh, he's appeared in the Atlantic, NBC News, the Huffington Post, the Daily Beast. Uh, I mean, he this guy's out here doing a lot, and we, we, we salute him for his efforts. Uh, Jason, are you with us? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Thank you so much, Jason, for joining us. Uh, good to have you on our show. I don't know how much you've heard thus far uh, dealing with the lawsuit that's been filed against the Colorado Springs Police Department in the city of Colorado Springs, as well as the district attorney's office, district attorney uh, Allen, uh, with this type of nonsense. Uh, I'll tell you what, it doesn't, it doesn't help the trust strings get any stronger with citizens and its uh, law enforcement community. Uh, go ahead and give us your thoughts on what you've heard thus far, what, we, what you can add to the conversation, and we're going to just get with the dialogue from there, okay? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Um, sure. So I think the, what, what I've heard so far, I mean, I think the way that you, that you can judge um, each community and, and really each state um, on how much they care about these issues and about police accountability is really a question of transparency. So yes. I'm not, you know, I'm not a Colorado expert, but my question would sure. be if you, if an average citizen were to go today and submit a record request for this officer and his record and any complaints against him, any evidence that he's lied in court, anything like that, how much would you get back? And, and right now, what does the law in Colorado say uh, about how much the public has a right to know um, police misconduct records? So that'd be, that would be one thing that I think would be really important in evaluating where Colorado is in terms of uh, really police accountability. For sure. Tell us a little bit about, Jason, uh, kind of what you kind of do. Uh, and what you think, how you can contribute as we get further into this dialogue. You're going to learn a lot more about this particular, the particulars here with this officer. Yeah. Uh, but then the, the cover-up, if you will, by the higher brass, if you will, uh, within the police department. And then to work with another entity in government, the district attorney's office, to sign off and sanction this type of behavior. The mayor goes ignoring the complaints that have been brought. You have a, you have a 
a tier, if you will, a tier level of failure to act and failure of accountability that makes it difficult for most citizens to think, well, what can we do? Because if we can't get it from the superiors of these officers uh, who oversee them, uh, then how do we possibly have a chance to deal with the issues? A just cause takes a different approach that uh, we're going to fight regardless, and we're going to do what we can to bring to the to the minds and to citizens what take a look. A uh, just cause doesn't go away. Other uh, people may not have that same uh, uh, type of fire, if you will, to press forward. What would your thoughts be on that? Well, I'm glad you have the fire to do that, and, and it, it takes a ton of work, and I think your instinct is right that just to look upwards and look up the chain of command. And what's, what I found, and I can tell you a little story uh, to sort of demonstrate this, is that sure. oftentimes, even at the highest levels of law enforcement in the state, you don't have indifference to accountability. You have hostility to accountability. And let me just tell you a little story about what I experienced when I went after uh, this issue in California, what happened to me. Mm -hmm. um, so a colleague and I, uh, we wanted to get our hands on, we wanted to know how often were police in California uh, being convicted of crimes. We had found out that California is one of only five states where you can't get decertified by the uh, peace officer standards and training agency if you commit uh, a, a violent crime. So only five other, only five states basically have said uh, you can commit a crime and it's just up to the individual departments. Um, and so we sent in a public records request to this agency mm -hmm. and we got a list back of 12,000 names, a big spreadsheet. We didn't quite wow. know what we had. They weren't all cops but we knew that some of them were cops. And we just had started pouring through this data when we got an email from Attorney General Javier Becerra. Javier Becerra mm -hmm. in that email said that the data that had been released to us was released inadvertently and that by possessing the data, we were committing a crime. Now, <laughs> we were interested well. in the data before, but, but suddenly we were very interested because we potentially had a sort of treasure trove of the criminal history of every uh, police officer who'd committed a crime over the last 10 years in California. Oh, wow. So what we did is we didn't delete it. We talked to our lawyers and they said, absolutely not. There's no way you have to delete that data. And, and actually they were horrified that the attorney general of California would threaten reporters with criminal action for doing their jobs and, and trying to you know, get some accountability. And so what we did over the next six months was we poured through all this data and we split the data up between 70 reporters all over the state. And we compiled it and we ended up publishing a searchable database of police criminal records in California. So if you live in California, you can go to uh, the story and you can search and you can see the types of crimes that uh, police are committing and you can see if they're still working despite having commit some some pretty awful crimes. I mean, we're talking, you know, uh, battery. Uh, we're talking, you know, manslaughter. Um, we're talking firearms offenses that would get any normal citizen uh, locked up. And and you know, we're talking uh, domestic violence is a big issue in in with policing. Um, 
And, you know, if a normal, if a, if a, if a person is found guilty of a domestic violence charge, normally you lose your right to own a gun or to carry a gun. Not so in California. And what we're, what we found is you had cops who'd been, you know, found guilty of pretty awful domestic violence, still able to carry a gun every day on the job. Right. And, and as you say, uh, a regular citizen uh, is not going to ha- they're not going to be able to do that. Period. Right. And right. so to me, that's what I call unequal justice. And there's no trust right. factor here. Uh, and again, it's, I, I promise you, as soon as you guys uh, were able to come up on something now, this is what's sad about the system. Now you have the attorney general of California saying you are committing a crime because people are not aware. Most people are not. So they prey upon the ignorance of people. Well, oh, my God, they said I can go to jail. Let me delete this right now. Of course, right. you, you were smarter than that and, and smell. Wait a minute. Why is everybody panicking here? If it's just a database of numbers that, that no, because there was there was information there that was damaging uh, to the police department yeah. and for, for your efforts, David. Well, just goes to show I'm tired of hearing that no one's above the law. Uh, police officers can again, not all police officers, but rogue police officers can commit a heinous act of crime. Uh, they can violate rights. They can do whatever. Yet. They continue to tell us no one's above the law when they're 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 self-policing. Uh, they're self-policing themselves, and they're judged by a different standard. Well, he felt like his life was in danger. Well, what is the, if the average citizen does what uh, a lot of these officers do, even down to choking out of Eric Garner? They said, "Well, you you didn't have to kill him," but for some reason, right. these police officers always seem to be judged by a different standard. They're judged by their own peers. And that's the problem we're having here in Colorado Springs with uh, the uh, the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church case. What what right. is it that you just can't take a objective look at your officer, uh, Mr. Corrado, in this case, and say, "Look, this guy was biased. He conducted a one-sided investigation, and nobody from the top, like you said, they become hostile. They become." Uh, very reticent, and they just become almost belligerent in their attitude towards dealing with misconduct in their departments. And then they wonder why people don't trust their departments, but they'll, uh, but they want everybody to say, well, uh, CSPD is of the highest integrity and all this other type of stuff. Well, right. then do, do what, do what it takes. But it seems more often than not, and not the George Floyd type of cases that get all that gets this broad attention but average cases that happen every single day that are never reported on, uh, police uh, establishments and cities are still ignoring misconduct. Yeah, you, you know what's amazing? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. What's amazing, uh, what, what we found during our reporting is, you talk about a double standard. In the state of California, let's say that you are a licensed barber or you know, cosmetologist. You, you are held to a higher standard as a barber than as a police officer who's allowed to carry a gun and allowed to potentially end someone's life. I mean, if you commit a crime, uh, of, you know, a, a violent misdemeanor as a barber, the, the, the certification board for barbers can strip you of your license. If you're a cop, you, 
you know, you have this impunity. You can, you can sort of uh, basically the, the board of certification is sort of a hoax and it doesn't even have the ability to strip that certification and ban you from working in California as a cop. So there's a total double standard that exists. And, and it's really, you know, we need to get our priorities straight. Police should be held not just to the same standard, but to a higher standard, I would argue. If you're allowed to walk around with a gun, if you're allowed to take someone's life, you, in my opinion, you should have way more information available to the public about your record than a barber or, say, a, you know, a lawyer or, or even a doctor. Um, you know, I think that by choosing to be a police officer, you are making a sacrifice. And part of that sacrifice has to be some privacy rights. We hear all the time about police officer privacy. Well, I would argue that, that you know, when you have the ability to take someone's life, um, that is a lesser uh, concern and the public has a greater right to know do you have any misconduct in your background? Have you committed any crimes? Uh, I think we have a right to know that. Well, and what's what's tragic about that, they do it with politicians. They know their background. They know their taxes. And these people, they really can't take right. anybody's life. They're being elected. They're not trusted day-to-day uh, -day with a gun and, and are in confrontations every day or interactions with members of the public. And mm -hmm. what you say is so true how are they not uh, held to a higher standard and required even just to be more accountable when when you have that sort of responsibility of a citizen's life potentially uh, in your hands uh, every single day of the week? No, true point, uh, Jason, your point. Look, I mean, it's just, it's just disgraceful. And again, it doesn't always come down even though we've seen a huge rise in, in African-American shootings by officers, people dying really uh, just without cause. But the things that build the tension in communities is what we're talking, mm -hmm. of, talking about regarding this lawsuit against uh, uh, the Colorado Springs Police Department, the DA's office, the city of Colorado Springs. This, these build tensions that you have a church with a reputation of 40 years by its pastor and its members to reach out in every possible way uh, to touch the lives of, of community uh, uh, citizens, uh, not only of citizens, but of officers, their wives, their families, the, the sheriff's department. I, I mean, a vision was there to say we care uh, by this church mm -hmm. and to turn around and when the Colorado Fellowship Church made a phone call, still believing in a system that would aid them in a situation when Nick Gaynor pulled a gun, not at his property, at church property. Right. You pull a gun, we call the police and say, look, there's a gentleman that pulled a gun with two minor children here. We need your help. And the actions of Detective Corrado to to make us uh, the members, excuse me, uh, the perpetrators of a crime, we called you because we believe in a system we thought that still works somewhere. And to turn around and threaten uh, Brian, uh, Detective Corrado, uh, making one statement to one of the ladies 
you had no right to call uh, this lady's job and tell the community that they may, the kids may be in danger? How do you tell a citizen not to report an issue when kids' lives may be at risk? But then you have folks that will be quiet because, well, when I somebody else reported a crime or reported concern or reported that there was an issue, guess what? They got charged with the crime for reporting it. Right. That is the insanity of it. Jason, we have a caller. We're going to take that call. We're going to come right back with you. Yeah. Great. Yes, we have uh, Ariel. You uh, have a comment about the show. You're live. Thank you for calling. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I am ecstatic that CSPD, the DA, all the people that are involved in this case are being sued because it makes no sense how you can have all of the evidence of what this case proves and you not do your job. You have to give respect to get respect. Just because you put on a blue uniform and put a gun on your hip does not mean you des you deserve respect. This church is calling for help because these people literally stole $20,000 worth of property and you failed to do your job. If you're not going to do your job as citizens, do us all a favor and turn your badge in. This just doesn't make any sense. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Thanks, all right, for the call. Um, and you know what? We share that frustration. Uh, it, it makes uh, no sense. I got a letter from someone online regarding uh, this show, uh, but they wrote a letter, Colorado Springs Police Department Abuse and Harassment. And Jason, I'm going to get your thoughts on it here in a minute. And she writes here, this is March 26th of 2020. It says, I have a complaint. First of all, I would like to say that I'm a pastor and a graduate student who attends Denver Seminary, and most of my family members are or were police officers. My daddy is a retired police officer who carries a gold badge, is in the Sarasota Hall of Fame, and was injured in the line of duty. My late grandfather was a police officer. My brother is a Fort Myers, Florida retired police officer, and my niece is currently a police officer. I am also a writer and have been published numerous times in magazines and newspapers. I am thinking of taking my story to the Colorado Springs Gazette. My neighbor, who is an ex-stripper and whose husband committed murder over her, called the police yesterday and told them lots of lies about me, and they believed her. They insisted that I speak to them in my home, which I did not approve of because I do not know if they have the coronavirus. And they bullied me and harassed me and were intensely rude to me. They called me a liar, even after I offered proof of how this woman who complained about me had harassed and bullied me for nine months. They accused me falsely of trying to freeze her by not turning the heat on. I told them that I never turned the heat off and that the thermostat is never set below 75 degrees. And they called me a liar. They told me that I had to give up my kitchen door and the common hallway and the laundry room in order to accommodate the woman who complained about me because they felt she should have more rights than me. When I refused to comply with their wishes, they bullied me and harassed me and interrogated me as to why I would not give this woman all of the common areas of my detriment. I simply told them that I paid $1,500 to live in this apartment and my apartment comes with three doors, a hallway and a laundry room of which my lease that I have a right to have. They bullied me for 30 minutes they peeked into my bedroom, and I felt as though my privacy had been invaded. 
They finally said there was nothing they could do and they could not order me to relinquish my apartment amenities. So they basically abused me for no reason. When I told them I was a pastor, one of the officers said he was a heathen. To tell a pastor and a seminary student that they are a heathen in her own home is really inappropriate. I would like to file charges against these officers for entering my home and abusing me without a valid reason and for peeking into my bedroom and touching my things. This is not the way you treat your pastors or the daughters of fathers who have been injured in the line of duty. When I told them that my family were police officers and that my daddy was injured in the line of duty, they said they did not care. They abused me. This is right here. So as, as we said, Jason, give me your thoughts on that letter. I mean, that's awful. That, that, that shows, I mean, it, it shows that that particular police department and those, those particular officers have, you know, almost zero disregard uh, or zero regard for, for uh, how they're being perceived by the community that they're supposed to be serving. Um, and in fact, those, those officers are doing a disservice to uh, every other officer at that department because this person who just wrote into the show, of course, they're going to talk about this with their community and they're going to share the horrific experience that they had. And then those people, uh, those people aren't going to trust the police in that community. Uh, and it sounds like they shouldn't trust the police in that community. No, no, absolutely right. And I think it's one of those things, Jason, that why people are just so in a, in a state of delusion that how do you come out here and just call me a liar? How do you do? But we've this is if they have an agenda, their agenda is what it is. And so she's thinking, right. Well, look, right. Go ahead, Jason. Well, I was just going to say what needs to happen here is the, the the playing field needs to be level. And the way you level the playing field is by arming citizens with information about the police that they encounter. I, I just want to give one example of something that I saw recently. I was watching a live stream at a Black Lives Matter protest, and there's a group in, in uh, Chicago that sued the city of Chicago and got a database of every misconduct uh, allegation against every cop, and they put it online, and you can access it from your phone. And I'm sitting, I'm watching this live stream, and there's a guy with a megaphone, and there's all these riot police lined up. And the guy is reading the name tag on the, the riot police, pulling it up on his phone in this database and telling the crowd, this officer assaulted a 75-year-old woman. This officer pepper sprayed someone for no reason. And that to me was beautiful because it shows that is leveling the playing field. That is arming right. the public with information. And I think, you know, like in this case, in this, this person who wrote in, if yep. this person could easily go on the internet and pull up all the information about these officers, about their histories, they might have a much better chance at getting, you know, uh, some type of relief in the courts if that information was ready, readily available. No, absolutely right. Kendrick? Uh, Jason, this is Jim Bart. I just had a quick question. So all the, that list you compiled were actual convictions? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, we had uh, – yeah, I mean everything that we published in the database um, were, were convictions. We and, the, and the initial list that we got, we had, uh, you know, we could see when things were pled down, so we could see what, what the initial charge was and then what the conviction was. Because that this, it's just kind of uh, ironic that you you have millions of, or, or thousands of people that are 
convicted. Some were coming out of prison, and background checks stopped them from getting work. They can't. I mean, you can't get a job at a grocery store. But you're telling me that an officer can get a conviction and still be able to so-called enforce the law that he's breaking. I mean, that's that's just so hypocritical. And and I mean, yeah. It makes no sense. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's it's really amazing. And and actually, while we were while we were looking at this reporting, uh, or looking at all this data, we found a little police department, McFarland, California. Two colleagues of mine uh, at the UC Berkeley Investigative Reporting Program, where I was working at the time, they found a town where almost every single officer on the police force of I want to say about twenty five thirty people, almost every single officer had criminal conviction. Um, wow. I mean. Yeah, and that is it was a community of mostly uh, Mexican uh, farm workers, and the community had had no trust and frequently had horrible experiences uh, with these officers. Um, and you can find that story if you Google that it's McFarland PD. They made a Disney movie about McFarland, and it's the same exact place. Okay, all right, Jason. What we're going to do is take a quick break. How, are you still good on time with us? Great. Okay, and uh, joining us coming along is going to be at the top of the hour. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Bill Freivogel. Uh, he's a professor of School of Journalism and publisher at Gateway Journalism and Review. I think uh, we can bring him into the dialogue if you're okay with that. Uh, and then if you if you're in any way need to leave or or, or whatever, we're going to be respectful of your time. Okay. Uh, but Thank I think you. the dialogue thus far is good. Uh, as we get into it, I want to we're definitely going to get into the actual civil complaint, uh, Jason. I want to get your thoughts on it as we kind of go a little bit down the page here and talk about why this complaint, civil rights complaint, is so pertinent, uh, hopefully, to the exposure of what these officers are doing. We're going to get into that dialogue as well, but get some specific pieces, if you will, to this puzzle and, and how it comes together. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio, and tonight dealing with a lawsuit uh, that has hit home. Uh, lawsuit comes to the city of Colorado Springs, CSPD, District Attorney Michael Allen, Detective Brian Corrado, Chief of Police Vince Niski for violation of civil rights and targeting of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. And I'll tell you right now, we're just getting started. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America as compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually 
understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. Picture this, a 75-year-old man convicted of murder waiting for his trial to finally go through. He's been on death row for 25 years now and finds out he's been wrongfully convicted and is completely innocent. Not only does this mean that 25 years of his life have been spent in jail for no reason, but that the actual murderer could still be out there right now. The bad thing is that this exact thing happens more often than you think, but you can help stop it by supporting our campaign to abolish the death penalty. Perfect bod, 
but to those who believe that are wrong. Exercising regularly and getting the right balance of nutritious food leads to a common diagnosis known as healthy. Now, healthy may sound mainstream and boring, but it's real. It improves your immune system to prevent sickness, boosts self-confidence and controls body weight, gives you energy, and improves your overall happiness. So next time you think that's not bad, think again and be the best you you can be. I've been getting mixed messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitude towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we have been in dialogue tonight regarding a situation that hits us in our own backyard here in Colorado Springs. A lawsuit comes to the city of Colorado Springs, CSPD, Colorado Springs Police Department, District Attorney Michael Allen, also uh, Michael Allen voted in by voters, uh, Detective Brian Corrado, Chief of Police Vince Niski, for violation of civil rights and targeting of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Uh, a big deal uh, when you're dealing with the trust issues of the African-American community uh, with law enforcement. Uh, let me be clear, as we've said from the top of this show, that it is not our position that all officers are are simply rogue or, or immoral, immoral rather, or lacks integrity, as we have seen with Detective Brian Corrado, a veteran uh, of the Colorado Springs Police Department who is really the backdrop of this lawsuit and his superiors who enable him uh, to break the law and to violate the civil rights. Believe it or not, to violate one's civil rights is a violation of law. That's why it's a federal lawsuit complaint. Uh, You can't do it, uh, and you definitely cannot send a message to your citizens and your community that they simply do not matter. Uh, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, really a pillar in this community when it comes to acts of kindness and reaching out to law enforcement and every group and walk of life of individuals uh, that you can imagine in this community for over 40 years. Uh, That's a statement. That's not someone that just went out and, and maybe gave some lemonade out on a hot summer day. We're talking about consistent uh, uh, acts of kindness. Uh, providing food, breakfast, and lunch. Uh, I think in some cases there was dinner provided uh, for the entirety of the Colorado Springs Police Department uh, by this church. Uh, The Sheriff's Department, same thing. Uh, One of the officers made the statement he had been on the force for 25 years and in his time had never, ever seen kindness, reached out to his department or to the police department from any organization in Colorado Springs, any, not one. Uh, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, Pastor Rose Banks, went further um, to offer a Let's Talk platform in cooperation with the Just Cause uh, to bring community people together to talk about 
what was going on during the Eric Gardner killing that took place when tensions were so high across this country. Officers were were scared, fearful because of all of the kickback that came uh, as a result of, of Eric Gardner. And, and Pastor Rose Banks said, we need to do something to come together to let the officers know we do care. We support the officers that honor the badge. Uh, and took it upon ourselves in the, in the church to get involved with such a community action. Uh, it go, I mean, the list goes on and on and on uh, of the good things that has been done. So when you have a detective that, by the name of Brian Corrado, who does a one-sided investigation, uh, and I don't even call that an investigation. He takes a one-sided statement. Uh, from individuals who were strategically placing themselves in a position to steal $20,000 of church property. That proof was provided to CSPD. It was provided to the internal affairs folks who, fi who we filed a complaint with. Uh, the attorney uh, for the Congressman Fellowship, Bernard Kleiman, sent letters to the mayor's office, to the chief of police, all to go ignored all of them to go ignore it and say, look, but yet Mr. Corrado falsely arrested, had get, uh, a group of men arrested who were there to retrieve church property uh, and put crazy crimes on these gentlemen and two young ladies for no reason, for no reason, had never had a conversation with the church, its board, nobody to say, look, what is your side? That is police misconduct at its highest level. Um, this is why we're on the air tonight. We're going to address it. Uh, as Jason, uh, our very special guest, and we're honored to have him tonight, um, stated, you know what? You have to uh, expose and put out there what's going on. And, and Jason, I think we're doing a good job at doing that. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. And right now, yeah, I'm going to bring in – no, go ahead, Jason. I'm sorry. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was just going to, you know, I mean, whenever I, I was just going to going to mention one thing that, that popped out from this lawsuit uh, yep. about the body worn cameras um, yes. and how it, it appears that the officers muted the cameras for long periods of time. Uh, yes. And I just wanted to say that this is something we're seeing all over the place and that That's just right. because you're putting cameras on officers does not automatically mean you're going to get more accountable officers. Because I tell you what, if there's a way around the system, if there's a way around of doing it the right way, uh, officers who have this mentality are going to find a way to get it done. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, right now, I want to bring yep. in our other guest, Jason. He's going to join us in this dialogue. Um, Bill Freivogel is going to be joining us. Uh, he's a professor, a school of journalism and publisher of Gateway Journalism Review. Uh, he uh, is a professor in the Southern Illinois University School of Journalism, contributor to St. Louis Public Radio and publisher of the Gateway Journalist Review. Uh, previously, he was a director of the journalism school uh, before SIU. Uh, uh, Fravogel worked 34 years in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, where he was, his, he was assistant, excuse me, Washington Bureau Chief and Deputy Editorial Editor. Uh, Bill, are you with us? I am. Hi, how are you? Please, I'm doing well, Bill. Tell me I did okay with your name. I think I got that right, did I? You did just fine. <laughs> you did just <laughs> okay. fine. Not very many people do. <laughs> well, I'm grateful for that. Bill, thank you. and it's okay that I call you Bill? It is. 
Okay. Uh, so, Bill, listen, as we, we've been in this conversation tonight regarding the lawsuit uh, filed by uh, against the Colorado Springs Police Department here uh, on some actions that are really, uh, really telling. Uh, but I think it, it becomes a national argument now, given the state of the country, uh, dealing with law enforcement officers uh, who simply are on their own agenda uh, to try to really violate the civil rights of African-Americans uh, and people in general. Uh, this is why this is such an important issue. Let me get your thoughts. Uh, you can introduce yourself to our listeners. I did a little bit of intro, but please give me your thoughts on what, what we're dealing with here on this topic tonight. Sure. Uh, well, I think we are, we're at a time in, in our history where the, the nation is very much focused on the question of police accountability and how to bring about more police accountability. Uh, the, uh, so, so I think what you're talking about is, is top of mind for the, for the country and has been for uh, at least the last year. And really, if you, if you go back to it, uh, it's, it's really been uh, uh, on the front burner of issues in the country ever since Ferguson, which is uh, you know, only a few miles from where, where I'm sitting right now. Uh, yes. and, and a story that I, that I covered quite a bit. So yes, I think I think that what, what I'm in the middle of writing some stories that the Associated Press has been writing. Uh, they're they're, they're uh, funded by the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting in Washington D.C. And, and what I'm trying to look at is uh, legal roadblocks to police accountability. And mm -hmm. I mean, in some ways, the law, the way it's the way it's written and interpreted right now is sort of stacked in favor of the police officer. And, uh, you know, that, that, that comes from uh, sort of historic view that, you know, the police are protecting the community. You know, we don't, uh, we don't want, they're, they're in a tough spot. We won't, don't want to always be second guessing them uh, when they're making, you know, uh, decisions uh, in, 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 the, in, the, in, in the moment. And, and that very much has become part of, of what the Supreme Court has laid down for how these cases are going to be decided. They have something called an objective reasonableness standard. What that means is uh, you've you, you got to view things through the police officer's eyes, and, uh, and, and you, you being the courts, the courts aren't supposed to second-guess the police officer. Uh, now, that's... That's something that some states and cities around the country are beginning to change that standard and say, well, that's, that makes it too hard to convict a police officer who does uh, you know, something like we saw in the case of, of, of George Floyd. Uh, so there's, you know, we're definitely in the, in, in, the, uh, in the middle of a movement towards some uh, police reform. Uh, but, so, but there's a long way to go. <laughs> No, no, absolutely right. And uh, I, I think to your point, uh, you know, even in the court cases here in Colorado, uh, and, and I was I was one that was wrongfully convicted in this state. So I've, I've been through the process a, a couple of times. And I remember this statement coming out of the judge's mouth as he uh, really spoke to the jury that because the office of the prosecution is a prestigious office. Uh, we ask you to consider 
all the information presented, and because of the level of prestige of the prosecution's office. Now, what you're doing is building up the DA's office to say, look, <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking, and this is what really got me, is when the question was asked to the, to the, as they were picking a jury, they made this statement. How many people believe that Mr. Banks is guilty of something since he's in the defense witnesses chair? 62 people stood up and said, we agree. <laughs> so the judge got really concerned. He said, but we haven't heard any evidence. We haven't put on one witness. You haven't read one piece of paper. But the this is what, again, if they think, the, if the prestige of the district attorney's office, and that's going to fall under the police department. I believe the police are there to protect us because that's the illusion that we give the public. We're there to protect. In most cases, you would think they are because you got good officers out there. But the problem to the defense and to a witness who is fighting for his life, there's no benefit of the doubt given to you, period, on the onset of, in, of, of a type of investigation or trial. So when you say they're forced in, in some states to look at the case through the eyes of an officer, if the prestige of the office of police or DA is heightened by the judge instruction to a jury, where does that leave us? Right. Well, I think you're, I think you're, uh, it's a good thing to think about the role of the district attorney. And, you know, traditionally uh, district attorneys have, uh, I mean, their job requires them to work very closely with uh, with police departments because the mm -hmm. police officers bring, you know, the criminal charges to the district attorney uh, for the district attorney to issue warrants or, or not issue warrants. And so there's always been a real sort of buddy-buddy arrangement there. Uh, yep. Now, that's changing to, to a certain extent. Um, the uh, There's been the election of what are sort of referred to in some places as uh, progressive district attorneys in a number of places around the country, uh, Philadelphia, St. Louis, Chicago, Baltimore, uh, Boston, San Francisco, are, are Kansas City. Those are amongst the places where so-called progressive prosecuting attorneys have been, have been elected. And, they, and so they've been doing things like uh, reduce, get, letting more people out uh, not keeping as many people in jail who can't pay uh, bail before uh, before their trial. Um, having more diversion programs to try to try to reduce the number of people who are incarcerated. They've been challenging police officers uh, and and putting together what are called Brady lists of mm -hmm. uh, police officers who have shown that they are uh, not honest. Who have lied in past, you know, police incidents, police reports, or on the stand, um, and uh, sometimes, like in Philadelphia, that list is up to about 220 officers. In St. Louis, about 55. Uh, Baltimore, about 300. And um, so, so things, things are, are. I mean, if you if you if you turn the clock back 10 years, or even 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 maybe six or seven years, none of these prosecutors would have been in office. This is all something that has happened uh, basically since basically since 
Ferguson. There was a yep. long-standing prosecuting attorney in St. Louis County, uh, Bob McCullough, and he uh, he is the person who had the grand held the grand jury and the death of Mike uh, Michael Brown in, in Ferguson, and uh, that that grand jury decided not to indict uh, Darren Wilson, the officer who shot Brown. And uh, Bob McCullough was one of the most powerful politic politicians in the Democratic Party in the state of Missouri, and when he went up for re-election, he was defeated by a black uh, uh, public defender who really hadn't didn't have any back background uh, in a prosecuting attorney's office. So things are changing pretty mm-hmm. pretty substantially in connection with the role of the prosecuting attorney uh, in the system. Yes, Jason, your thoughts on that? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that's it's it's exciting to see. I mean, I I uh I've been following uh, Chesa Boudin who, who was the um is the former public defender who was elected to be the district attorney in San Francisco. And it's amazing what has happened there. I mean, uh it it well, first of all, when he when he got the elected, when he got the job, um the office hemorrhaged career district attorneys because uh suddenly you know, it was a 180 degree shift in the thinking. But now, since he's been in, you've been you've seen things like uh, officers uh, being prosecuted for uh, you know pretty egregious abuse, Just things that never would have happened prior in San Francisco. Um, well, so it's, it's really it's really something to see. And you know, did, uh, he mentioned uh, Brady Brady material. Um, there's a huge problem right now where public defenders, if you talk to any public defender, there's a huge problem where they're not getting Brady material, even though it's, you know, it, it don't, it, they are required to get it. Um, it it's in the, basically in the district attorney's hands to turn over any uh, exculpatory uh, material or any material um, about these, these the cops and dishonesty. Uh, and it, it's kind of a broken system because it relies so heavily on the the honesty and cooperation of the district attorney. No, I understand that. And uh, we're going to lay out a little bit, guys, really quick, a little bit of this lawsuit, David. I'd like you to go down if you can. Uh, we're going to hit some key points here. We're going to get into some dialogue. Some of the hosts are going to have something to say about that. So, David, introduce some of this stuff to our honored guests tonight. And as we break this down a little bit, the time goes so quick. Uh, but let's just see what we can get get through this discussion. Are you guys good on time, folks? Both of you? Sure. Yep. Okay. Yep. We appreciate it. David, go ahead. Well, first, I want to give a little background uh, that uh, comes from a press release by Just Cause. Um, now, the background of this case is is is, is this: um, uh, the church, uh, through their loving kindness program, permitted a couple and their children to temporarily reside in a corporate apartment. It was leased and furnished by the church. Uh, they gave them a set of rules, no drugs, no guns in the apartment. Uh, the couple violated the rules and ultimately became belligerent with church leadership. Uh, given that they wanted to no longer be in the church, uh, parishioners at the direction uh, of the leadership went over to secure their property in the apartment. Okay, they got over there. Uh, the gentleman was friendly at first, but then then he decided he was going to pull a gun and not give up the property. 
prompting church members, uh, parishioners to call the police uh, with the thought that the police were going to show up and help them uh, not only protect them and also protect their property. Uh, a few weeks later, a month later, church parishioners find out they've been charged with felony burglary at their corporate apartment. Uh, and the detective in this case is on record telling uh, after the the couple stole the furniture, I'll say allegedly stole uh, for the purposes of radio, allegedly stole the furniture, telling her, well, we're not going to treat that as a as a crime that you stole their furniture, even though they had receipts uh, uh, that the church had bought and furnished the apartment. But we're, we're going to say that and it's a matter of a, uh, an interview. He's going to say, well, we're going to say that they were there to retrieve property they thought belonged to them. So that's the thing in a nutshell. Now the church parishioners are facing and being subjected to having to go to court. They were booked, arrested, booked, stripped out, humiliated uh, by through this process, a one-sided process, when they never even asked the church, did you give the lady the property? And so it went on, and as far as uh, Just Cause's uh, press release is concerned, they note that he encouraged uh, Ms., uh, the couple to take the furniture because he tells them the police are going to treat it as a civil matter. Ask after the uh, the lady asked if it would be wrong for them to take their stuff, the church's stuff. So that's that, that's the the background on the story. Now the lawsuit uh, that was filed um, is addressing uh, not only the one sided investigation but also the failure uh, dealing with the body-worn cameras and the failure of the police department to rein in uh, the church, as well as the just cause, uh, submitted, filed a complaint. And the DA actually uh, responded in an internal affairs document. The NI investigator for the CSPD said the district attorney said, well, we're not gonna even consider reviewing the criminal complaint of theft uh, unless uh, Detective Corrado, who, who started this whole mess, tells us it's the probable cause, there's probable cause to arrest and charge him with theft of church property. Well, the DA is the ultimate uh, ultimate body that determines probable cause. So you got all of this stuff where the church is one-sided investigation, and now uh, the failure of the police department not only disciplined the officers for the body-worn cameras, but conducting a, a a a 14th Amendment violation against a church, uh, uh, viol also violating due process, no no fair investigation, and actually targeting a, a, a religious organization under the Religious Freedom and Restoration Act uh, because the church was exercising their religious religious freedom to extend a hand of kindness as a church to somebody in the community to make their lives better. Yep. Uh, and on top of that, and, and final, uh, almost everybody uh, that was charged, save one, are African-American. And so it's just a, a, a crazy uh, 
uh, set of events, clearly uh, a rogue officer that uh, said, well, I don't like a church. Conceivably, I don't like these black people and I'm going to go after them. And then I'm going to, uh, what appears, I'm going to get the DA to go along with me. I'm not, the DA is not going to be independent. She's just going to go along with me. She's not even going to review the complaint of theft. She's just going to uh, do exactly what uh, the detective is telling her. And now the, the, these search parishioners, one of them has already lost their job, who, who worked in a, in a, at, at, a, at a military base with a security clearance. So he, he's no longer working there just because of these charges and the failure of leadership in the city yep. and in the police department not to do anything. And that's pretty much the background on the lawsuit. And I'm going to go to Bill first, Jason. I'm going to come right back to you. Bill, your thoughts on that, just on the, on the summary of what David just shared. Give us your thoughts. Well, the, the thing that, that jumps out at me as being um, uh, as not really being the right way to handle this is is that the D, the DA seems to be deferring to the police officer on what's really a, a matter of law. I mean, the police officer isn't a lawyer. They you know they they are they're trained to investigate crimes and present you know what they think is probable cause of a crime to a to a prosecuting attorney, but then, then, then the prosecuting attorney, the DA, has to make the judgment about about whether something has actually violated the law. And so, for the DA in this case to say, "Well, I'm I'm not going to pursue the question of theft here on the part of the of the uh, you know the two people the gainers." The, the 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 two people who were in the apartment yep. took the took the property. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna look at that question if the police officer doesn't doesn't bring it to me uh, and, and doesn't think it's doesn't think it's a, a theft. So I don't think the district attorney should be deferring to the police officer on uh, what is a crime here. And it, it does seem, I mean, just from from what you all summarize, it seems as though the the the, the uh, the police officer's notion of uh, who committed the crime is a little bit is, is a little bit strange. No, Jason, your thoughts? Yeah, totally agree. I mean, it seems like a, a total injustice. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I have a question though. Is there is there, um, is there some relationship between the church and and the, this radio show? Well, it's a separate. It's a, a just causes a separate entity uh, of the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Uh, so it just causes okay. an advocate. Of course, the church is an independent religious uh, institution uh, where some some members uh, attend. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of where that that stays. That, that where that where that's at right and, now. Go ahead. And so is the is there are there presses are there charges uh, being pressed against any of these these uh, plaintiffs? Uh, or did, did the district attorney not bring any, you know, uh, breaking and entering or, or theft charges? Yeah, no, those charges are, are pending right now. They have been charged. Uh, it's in the, it's in the, it's in the courts now, uh, where that sits. So, uh, and again, the attorney, uh, Bernard Kleiman, uh, can speak to any issues on that as well. But, uh, our, our position as an advocacy is to hopefully bring out uh, and, and at least inform the public of, of any type of wrongdoing uh, that may have happened. That's in any situation. Uh, the sad part about this situation is, is that 
the internal affairs investigator made the statement that uh, the reason the district attorney did not bring charges of theft is because when the file was turned into them, it linked both of the cases were linked. So if they bring charges against the gainers for theft, the bogus charges brought by Detective Corrado uh, in an attempt to uh, oppress the members of this church uh, becomes highly questionable because now the credibility of your first case and the individuals involved in that case are highly questionable because of the acts of theft. Right. And it goes to the bias. Now, what prosecutor, if anybody is common sense, a prosecutor is going to want to know anything that can conceivably impact his case. So if there's another case, this complaint of theft of church property by the two subjects in in the, the pending case, wouldn't a prosecutor want to know, well, what, what is going on here? This could impact my case. Right. Even if it was legitimate, it could impact my case. So it just is very strange and bizarre, and, and it, it raises justifiable suspicions that you don't want to see it because it'll ruin your, it could conceivably ruin your prosecution and persecution of these church members. Uh, that's just, right. at least that, that, that's, that's the appearance it gives. And that's called, you know, by definition, a cover-up. You can't say that, well, we have some defendants that we have, uh, that we charge with something against one group of people. And if that said group of people, if we bring charges against that group of people, then it kills our case. That's called a cover-up. That is against the law and against the ethics of a law enforcement officer. That makes absolutely no sense. And the detective in this case already knows it and has spoken, has said it, has stated that, well, that might, you know, uh, in in layman's term or in paraphrase, that would affect my case against these other individuals if I bring criminal charges against the people um, who who are who are supposed to be his witnesses. That I mean, that yep. is definitive of a cover up. Bottom well, line. Well, you just don't know. It's, it's kind of like uh, uh, Jason and Bill say, for instance, I, I come into your office. I said, in this envelope is proof of a commission of a crime. This probable cause. I'm gonna lay it on your desk. You tell me I'm not even opening that. Go ahead and take that back out. Well, then and that's what the DA did. We're not even going to review it. Well, it's your job to review a complaint of a crime. Am I right? right. I, I, I mean, that, that's where I think that where I, I would just from, you know, what I've heard, uh, uh, read in the complaints and I heard on this show, that's, that's the one, that's the one area where I would really question the, a DA's handling of it is uh, that that a DA is not imposing uh, is not making the judgment on on the legal issues that that need to be resolved to figure out who who, who actually committed committed the burglary here the the, the, the couple or the, or the parishioners uh, you know what you mentioned earlier that uh, I think that maybe some body camera uh, yeah. uh, body camera footage was not available. Uh, you know, one, one thing that has happened, and this is something that's happened in Colorado, uh, Colorado legislature uh, recently passed a bill. It's called SB 202017. Uh, it's the state's criminal justice reform bill. It goes into effect in 2023. And uh, it requires that agencies release 
unedited audio and video footage from body camera and dash cameras of any incident where misconduct is alleged. So at least, at least going forward, once we get to 20, 2013, uh, there is a reform that will be in place on the availability of, of body camera, body, uh, you know, body camera footage in incidents like this. No, absolutely. And you said that's in 2023. That that'll actually it'll, go be, into it'll be in effect in 2023, right? Colorado also they passed a law in 2019 that opened some police misconduct records that hadn't been opened before, but it's got some problems in that it's not retroactive. So I just was trying to figure out, uh, you know, what's the what's the history on this particular officer? Uh, that kind of information wouldn't be wouldn't be available because that law is not. Uh, retroactive. Plus, you've also, if you want to, if you want to get public records on an officer's misconduct, you got to know lots of details about what the instances of misconduct were. You got, you got to know, you know, like when did it happen, what was alleged. You can't just say, I, I want to know any use of force uh, complaints against this particular officer because I, I want to know about his background. Uh, no, so Colorado right. law is getting getting a little bit better, but it still has has a long way to go. No, absolutely right, Jason. Bill, we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna you have a, you have a comment, Jason? Oh no, that's that's really interesting, it's, and I'm I'm glad to see at least that there's some some police reform laws uh, in Colorado because it sounds like they're needed. No, absolutely right. We're gonna come right back, guys. We're gonna address a little bit more on this, uh, but I will I want to address the footage controversy. Uh, dealing with Andrew Brown's uh, shooting, the gentleman that was shot in the back of the head, uh, mm-hmm. and they released bits and pieces of that footage. But also the footage I want to talk about, Louisiana troopers punching and dragging uh, Ronald Green, uh, who was apologizing and screaming for his life. Uh, that footage gets released two years after the fact. We're going to get a little bit into discussion on that, but I do want to discuss that, and we'll be right back with you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio dealing with, again, an initial lawsuit filed against the Colorado Springs Police Department, the city of Colorado Springs, the district attorney's office of Michael Allen for civil rights violations. Uh, and you heard that right, right in our own backyard. And we're going to address those issues and the really the clear ignoring of the facts by the mayor uh, in this in this city. We're going to deal with all of that on the other side of break with our very special guest. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons. 
and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in the nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything his family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they've suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to innocenceproject.org to find out how you can help. What do you need? 
I need a hard worker. Good. I've got two part-time jobs, and I help my parents pay the bills. Any problem-solving skills? I got through high school without a car, a phone, or a computer. No college degree, though. Not yet, but life's taught me a lot, and I'm ready for more. Well, you're not the typical kind of candidate that I hire. But you are exactly what I'm looking for. Your company could be missing out on the candidates it needs most. Learn how to find, cultivate, and train a great pool of untapped talent at gradsoflife.org. back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we've been discussing the lawsuit filed against the city of Colorado Springs. The district attorney's office, Michael Allen, uh, voted district attorney, as well as the Colorado Springs Police Department, Detective Brian Corrado, Chief Nisky, uh, and the entire Colorado Springs Police Department, uh, as they have been in violation of civil rights of the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, thus the filing of the lawsuit uh, that was filed a day or so ago. Uh, and we are addressing those issues. We're joined by, by uh, Bill Freivogel. Uh, he is professor of School of Journalism and publisher of Gateway Journalism Review. Also joined tonight by Jason Palladino, National Security Investigative Reporter at Project on Government Oversight, as we've been discussing uh, these issues to my very special guest. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your evening to be with us tonight uh, on this show. To have this dialogue, I think is critically important, and I do give you guys a very special thanks for that tonight. Well, thank you for having us. Glad to be with you. Yeah. Yes, you folks. Uh, and, and Jason, I want to go to you really quick. I know there was something that we had talked about yesterday. Uh, I want you to get an opportunity to tell our listeners about it regarding settlements and judgments and police misconduct. Uh, it's some type of project, I believe, that you're working, trying to get some 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 traction on. Did you want to explain it to our listeners? Yeah, just uh, quickly, it's it's um, it's a new uh, uh, it's a bill that's been introduced um, by uh, a representative Don uh, Beyer of Virginia and Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia, uh, and basically it's the it's called the Cost of Police Misconduct Act. And it would do a couple of things. Um, some of them are pretty, uh, or would I think make a difference. Um, but the main thing it would do is it would basically mandate that every state, local, and federal law enforcement agency um, would be required to report instances of uh, misconduct and uh, settlements that are paid out to the Department of Justice, to the, to the Attorney General. Um, and then that data uh, is required to be made searchable, um, not, not including the officer's name, but including the demographic information about the officer and um, the full amounts that these cities are paying out because of the bad behavior of those officers. Um, if, if people wanna learn more, POGO is having a town hall um, on the 24th on uh, uh, Monday um, at 1.30 p.m. And 
we're going to have Senator Tim Kaine actually in that that town hall meeting. It's sort of like a webinar, uh, along okay. with a panel of criminal justice uh, experts. We've got uh, someone from NAACP. We've got someone from uh, UCLA School of Law. Um, it should be it should be a really interesting conversation. So I encourage okay, people good. to tune in. No, thank you, and to our listeners, definitely pay attention to that. Uh, and we'll post something, uh, Jason, on our website of that particular event happening, so our, our listeners and our supporters can see that. Uh, that's important. Hey, we'll I, take a couple I might of, add. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Can I add one thing? One thing, sure. Jason just said. Uh, yeah, I mean, recently the information has come out that the city of Chicago, for example, uh, has spent half a billion dollars uh, in in paying for the misconduct of its police officers uh, over the over the past number of years. Uh, those are some documents that just came out recently. So, you know that that's an amazing you know, number. Find, find, yeah, yeah. Finding finding the amount that was that was paid out in these suits is really important. Well, I mean, it tells you we have a problem. Uh, you're paying that amount of money out to settle. Uh, that means there's some behavioral issues. Uh, major uh, at these uh, at these police stations. Um, what we're going to do right now, guys, we're going to take a couple of calls. We got some calls in queue that want to ask you some questions. We're going to get those questions answered. And uh, Cliff, go ahead. Okay, we have uh, June who has a comment about tonight's show. June, thanks for calling. You're live. June, are you there? Sorry, I was on mute, but thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to make a statement um, or a comment. Um, Police reform is badly needed. The police have uh, too much power, and they need a watchdog agency or group that are not partial to the police. Um, They need to be totally separate from the government. I don't know what group it could be, but somebody that's going to uh, make them accountable uh, to the things that that they're doing wrong. Um, Right now, they just do what they want to do, and they figure that nobody can stop them. Nobody's going to do anything uh, to them for their acts that are, are, are not lawful. But I just hope one day uh, this will be a reality that they will be held accountable. Um, I may not be around to see it, but I'm hoping that it will come with the dialogue that's going on now with the people protesting and calling for reform. It'll be a reality. Thank you. And thanks for your uh, comment, June. And uh, Jason, since you are... Uh, you know, representing Pogo, uh, what do you have to say about June's comment over on uh, oversight of law enforcement? Uh, it's, it's extremely important, and and I think uh, her her idea of a sort of independent um, uh, group, uh, uh, you know, there are a few examples of things that are similar. They're not exactly that, but um, the city of Oakland in California, for example, um, they established a group through the city, uh, a commission that uh, had actually a, a, a great amount of power over uh, everything from hiring decisions, firing decisions, 
and even what types of technologies the police department were buying. And so, for instance, like the, you know, the police love their fancy new toys, right? Uh, whether that be military equipment that's transferred through them through a federal program or um, surveillance equipment. And so this commission in Oakland has to approve uh, any new um, surveillance type equipment and has the ability to uh, basically say, there's not a legitimate purpose for this. Like, you know, you don't need to have this drone covered in cameras or you don't need to have these, these uh, license plate readers and those types of things. So there are a few examples you can look around cities where there are these sort of independent commissions. Um, you know, unfortunately, it you know those that these commissions aren't fixing all the problems. Um, there's still a you know there's still a lot of issues in Oakland, California, with the police department. You know, some okay. uh, some some cities around the country have what are called citizen review boards, and uh, but uh, too often, uh, I, I think there's one that at least at one point was working pretty well in Cincinnati. Uh, but a lot of them don't have the power they need to, for example, subpoena uh, uh, su subpoena officers and conduct, you know, full-fledged investigations. Uh, right. After Ferguson here in St. Louis, the St. Louis uh, Board of Aldermen set up a citizen review board, and it was just uh, disclosed that of the of the 20 people who have been killed uh, by police officers. Uh, over the last uh, three years since that board has been in operation, they have not investigated any of them or even received any police uh, reports or complaints related to any of them. So sometimes these citizen review boards, uh, why they sound they sound good and they sound like maybe the way to go can be can be pretty ineffective. Actually, you know, I, ten years ago I would have said citizen review boards are the way to go. Today, I would say progressive prosecutors like uh, uh, Kim Gardner in St. Louis, Larry Krasner in uh, Philadelphia, they're more likely to actually br uh, bring accountability to police than are a citizen review, uh, is a citizen review board. That's good to know. That's good to know. I think we got one more caller, and we'll be closing this segment off. Cliff, go ahead. Yes, we have uh, Nina has a question about the show tonight. Nina, thanks for holding your live. Um, I have a question and a comment. Um, you know, I was always brought up to believe that you're guilty until proven. I mean, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. And, you know, in, in the case with the recent filing against the police department, I'm in total agreement. You know, my personal opinion is, uh, you know, a thorough thorough, fair, uh, unbiased investigation wasn't done. How can that be? I mean, what's the standard protocol prior to filing any kind of charges against individuals? I mean, do they realize what they're doing affecting these people's personal lives, their families, their likelihood? Good luck, Jason, on that. Yeah, no, I'm, I, uh, I mean, I think, you know, there, there's a culture uh, in district attorney's offices where you get prosecutors who wear it as a sort of badge, how long they, you know, lock people up or how many convictions they get. And, and when that happens, you, I think they lose sight of the function of the job, which is, you know, really to, to make sure that 
justice is being served. And I think when you get that type of culture where it's about numbers and it's about, you know, uh, competing to see who can, who can get the most convictions or, uh, uh, you, you get things like, like this case where the truth and getting to the truth and seeking, finding justice isn't exactly the most, you know, important thing in the office. Bill, your thoughts? Well, you know, I mean, an officer has, uh, I mean, it should be following, you know, professional training standards in the way to conduct an investigation. Uh, nevertheless, you know, an officer does have a lot of discretion. It's important for an officer not to abuse that discretion. Uh, you know, I think of the, that you all are making a pretty strong case that, that the officer in this case may have abused uh, abused his discretion and filed filed the burglary charges against the wrong parties. <laughs> and then the no, and then the the, the the district attorney has just deferred deferred to him. That, I mean, that's what it sounds like what's happened. But you know, I I can't tell very well from a thousand miles away. <laughs> No, understood, understood. Guys, uh, Bill and, and uh, uh, Jason, thank you guys so much. It's so much information to take in, so much to put out. You guys have uh, brought a lot to this to this story. I would like to stay in touch with you guys offline, if that's okay with you, to keep you updated on this situation. Uh, this is going to, without question, it is all over social media as we speak that this lawsuit has been filed uh, against the Colorado Springs Police Department and its government here. Uh, and uh, I, I would anticipate uh, a lot of folks are interested on the outcome and how this thing progresses. Uh, again, I'll, I'll definitely be in touch with you guys. If there's anything that you guys need from us, we make forward information to you. Uh, I think you guys both got the complaint, didn't you? The civil, the civil rights complaint. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so any, any press releases, anything that a just cause will do, uh, we will we will keep you in the loop if you're okay with that. That's great. Sounds good. Okay, and Jason, please let us know how that uh, event goes. Uh, interested to know about that. You guys always got a platform here to come back uh, and share any progress, any updates, any good things or whatever, indifferent, whatever it might be, uh, to get out to the public across the United States, to all of our listeners across the United States and around the world. Uh, please know you have a platform here on AJC Radio, okay? I appreciate that. Okay, you guys take care. Thanks for joining us tonight. Have a great evening. Take care. All right. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, there you have it. Uh, really informative uh, guest here tonight. Really, really uh, hearing a summary of information uh, and knowing full well there is a problem that happened here. Uh, and that's through their expertise and their experience to understand this is not passing the sniff test so to speak samson your thoughts on the on, on our guest tonight i think they both actually brought really great perspectives um to the table tonight i mean between jason and uh bill with I me mean, they've got a plethora of experience both on the teaching and academic side of the house here um bill is like 34 years of experience and jason he's out there and uh for lack of a better term basically a watchdog um activity out there reporting on everything they can find they created that database i think these uh these gentlemen are, i think they're with us in the fight you know to not only you know uncover uh police corruption uh, mistreatment anything else like that but also just to sit there and publish it for public knowledge i mean it has to get out there you know again if law enforcement around this nation expects to be able to you know 
do their job effectively with this, uh, with, with the populace, they're going to have to become more transparent. They're going to have to trust, you know, build that trust back. Cause if not, you know, then there's just, it's going to be more lawlessness. There's going to be more back and forth from, from both sides of the fence. No, absolutely right. And again, uh, again, this, this lawsuit, uh, is going forward, uh, and it has been filed, uh, and serving, uh, my understanding, uh, the folks have been served there. They've been notified of this. Uh, and the bottom line is, David, you made a good point. Uh, until we fight injustice nonstop, the abuse will continue over and over again. And the bottom line is, if you don't fight, you simply become a victim of the system uh, and you lose at the end of it. Your thoughts? Well, like like they said, the devil is in the discretions, and somebody needs to check both uh, police officers and prosecutors on on the abuse of discretion, and, and then uh, check that stuff at the door, and then resolve some of these issues before they uh, go through the ruinous uh, impact of uh, of an indictment or something along those lines, or charging people and putting them through uh, this this uh, just horrible process. And there you have it, folks. We'll be back next week uh, discussing uh, some more along these lines. Uh, but tune in to us 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on AJC Radio at agcradio.com. This is AJC Radio. Until next time, America, good night. <laughs>